Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program. Texans All Access here from the Hyundai Texans Radio at NRG Stadium, right across the hall from the locker room. Mark Vandermeer with you tonight, joined by John Harris. And Johnny and I have not been on the radio together for a while, so how's it going? Man, it is. I heard you say it this morning. I was driving around, and I heard you say that this morning. You're like, yeah, Johnny and I haven't done radio in a while. I thought, yeah, it's been a while. It's been all of the summer celebration, and then halfway yeah. through – the week prior, so then all the way this week. So it's been a good two and a half weeks. Yeah, I know. It seems like a long time. Let's get into the on-field stuff because, you know, we'll be not deep into camp, but we'll be into camp. We'll be a couple of practices into camp in a couple of weeks, and that's saying something. Ooh, wow, I mean, yeah. a couple of camp days in, you're already like, okay, we're in it. What's going on? We got a lot of takes. We got a lot of things, a lot of thoughts, a lot of injury updates, a Ugh. lot of updates on how some rookies look. Uh, but they don't get into pads till what? They'll get into pads over the weekend, the I first the weekend first, of the Greenbrier. I think they've got to go two days. Two or three days, something like that. I think it's two days without pads, but then they can put the pads on. And, yeah. And I think it's that Saturday. Mm-hmm. And it was that Saturday. Well, last year I think the days were different because we played it on Wednesday. But it was that first day in pads when Will Fuller ended up breaking his collarbone. And that was just such a oh, it was. It was frustrating a sight to see him walking off the field and we were standing up in the stands where it happened, but then seeing him all the way across the field going into the sports performance center there at the Greenbrier, you, you just didn't know. You thought, man, is this it, it, okay? Maybe it's just a bruise. Maybe it's just an AC yeah. joint thing. He can come back with that. And then you find out it's a broken collarbone. And you're like, oh, man, okay, how many weeks is that? And then you're doing the math on it. Like, okay, when can he come back? And then you, then you saw him up at the Greenbrier. He went yeah. and had surgery, came back, he did all his rehab there, and he thought, well, maybe he can get back sooner than later. And ended up coming back for week four. So those are the type of things you hope to be able to avoid early on in camp. And there have been times over the last couple of years where they've not had those injuries early on. Uh, 2016, if I remember correctly, that was a year they didn't have a lot of injuries up fr- in training camp. Mm-hmm. Went in relatively healthy, seemingly. And then, of course, the injuries started happening shortly thereafter with J.J. in week three and – Etc. And then last year they just happened every single day it seemed last year. So hopefully they can avoid those in training camp and get into the season unscathed. And if they can do that, then hopefully they can stay healthy throughout the season. You know, with Will Fuller, since we're on the subject, everyone looks at him as this burner kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've talked about it that he's made some pretty good catches. You know, he really yep. improved the hands a lot last year, and he'll continue to improve in that category but I also see him, Johnny, I think that the threat of speed enables him to get open in maybe some short yardage situations. Absolutely. Shorter yardage. It's third and five. And they've got to respect Hopkins, obviously, and maybe Kiki QT or Ellington or whoever. And all of a sudden, Fuller's cutting off a route early, and bam, you know, you just hit him real quick with a six-yard gain to move the sticks. Yep. You know, it doesn't always have to be a big touchdown play. I know he caught seven touchdowns in four games from Watson, but he'll be available for some of that stuff as you need it. Well, I think one of the biggest catches Will made outside of the big touchdown catches that he had last year in particular, but I remember that rookie year in the win against Cincinnati on Christmas Eve, there was that four-play drive after Brandon LaFell went 90 yards, the Texans had a four-play 75-yard drive. It was maybe the best drive they had in 2017. And the first play on that drive was Will Fuller driving the DB deep, Mm-hmm. Guy had to respect it, breaks it off on a comeback route, Savage hits him, big first down to start the drive. It was like a 15- to 17-yard catch. That's the kind of thing that Will's got to be able to do, sell that deep ball and then break it down, throttle down, and then get to the outside. And then hopefully your quarterback can hit him at that point. But you're right. 
it's it's the threat. I've often said this many many times that one of the big and, and an example of this is one of the biggest assets I think for this team this year and for however long Sean Watson plays quarterback is the threat of the run. Yeah. You're so scared of the run, but he may never run. But you've got to you've got to account for it. Yeah. Now he may on a scramble and he may have a couple design runs. But it's the threat of that run that is so dangerous. And I always felt that about Michael Vick. Everybody said, well, well, why don't you just drop everybody into passing lanes? I'm like, well, then he just takes off. He scoots out on you. And now yep. you're chasing the guy that's 4-3. You three can slide down after 10 yards and he's Ab- picked up a first down and absolutely. they're still fighting. And the threat of Vick running, the threat of Deshaun running, those things are so big. And the threat of Will Fuller taking a guy deep down the field is is not only in, in year one it was – in theory. Mm-hmm. And I think teams were like, well, it really hasn't beat us downfield, so we'll take our chances. But last year he did. He beat him downfield and he made him pay in large part because Deshaun was able to find him down the field. But then he made them pay. And I think when DeAndre said the night Will was drafted, hey, no more double teams, look, DeAndre's still going to get his double teams. But Will last year, while healthy, started making teams pay for the focus that Hopkins was getting. And so I brought up this question a few weeks ago, and I think you were out when we talked about it. Probably. If you're a defense, defense, how do you go about about defending the Texans receivers? How do you go about doing it? Because if you you look to double Hopkins and then think you're going to get one-on-one against a guy in Will Fuller who now has some experience, who now has continued to improve his route running, the picture we saw of him working out in Anaheim, California at Equinemius St. Brown – He's got much bigger, much stronger. He's much more adept at using his hands at the line of scrimmage to get himself free. How are you going to cover the Texans going forward? And oh, by the way, if one of the other guys steps up, Braxton, Bruce, or Kiki, and then the, one of the tight ends, Ryan Griffin, uh, and the the gaggle of guys that we've talked about before, those guys all step up, and hopefully they will. What do you do with Fuller? How do you cover Fuller if you're a defense, defensive? If you're a defensive coordinator, how do you handle him? You, you might have to take your chances on Hopkins if you're defending. I the think Texans. so too. You might have to. I just think so t- too. Take your chance. You know, hopefully, if you're the opponent, maybe the pass rush can disrupt the throw, make right. it a little bit off target, which obviously is not a problem for Hopkins in most cases. But you might have to because Fuller, if he continues to get deep, oh my gosh! And you know that Watson's going to look for him. I mean, right. he likes the deep ball. He does, and it's just going to be such a threat for this team. The other thing is this: you brought up the tight ends and. Some notes from various shows that have taken place lately. I was on this morning, and Mike said, well, I was a little at first wondering about the tight end pick with Aikens going in the third round because they had needs on the offensive line, even though they picked up Rankin, who we have yet to see because he's been banged up. Even though they picked up Rankin, they picked up Justin Reed, who's a great pickup. Everybody agrees on that. Uh, But I said, you know, tight end is a position, or was a position of need. You had to fortify. You had to load that chamber and see what comes out because – Griffin, he's one concussion away from who knows what. You know, yeah. C.J. Fedorowicz, right. you know, before the last one, he was still playing, and now he's not anymore. So I'm not saying that's what's going to happen with Griffin, but you always wonder with those things because he's had a few. And then you look at Steven Anderson, who's not that kind of tight end. He's a receiving tight end, and, you know, Griffin's the multiple threat. So you had to find a way to get more guys in there. And I know that we've talked about some of the other guys, like Michael Pruitt, who might be interesting. I don't right. know if they make the team or if they factor in, but – They'll be around during the Greenbrier days, and we'll see how they play out. Yeah, no question. I think, I think the tight end after CJ retired, which I hate to even say, but after CJ retired, it became definitely a position of need. I don't think there was any question about that. 
and they went out and fortified that with the draft and then obviously bringing in a guy like Matt Lengel, having guys on hand like Michael yep. Prude, as you talked about, Giovanni Robinson. These are going to be very interesting guys, I think, at the Greenbrier. That's going to be a really fun position to watch in the training camp battles at the Greenbrier because when you think about it from a number standpoint, I think it becomes very interesting at running back and tight end because if you keep three tight ends, let's say you keep three tight ends, right. then either one or two things happens. Number one, you don't keep one of the rookies. Number two, you don't keep Ryan Griffin or uh, Steven Anderson. Yeah. So do you end up keeping four tight ends? That's interesting. Well, special teams will come into play for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's any question with that. But And, and you've always said this. You're going to have injuries somewhere. You hope yeah. you don't have it like you did last year where it just felt like every receiver was going down on a yeah. daily basis. And they were. And you don't want that to happen, especially with a couple of young guys that have got some promise in Aikens and Jordan Thomas at tight end. But that could even things out a little bit. But I think tight end is going to be a, a monster of a position to it, try to figure it out. It really will be. And what you just said speaks volumes of the overall situation mm-hmm. because you assume in a way that Griffin and Anderson are going to make the team, both of right. them. Obviously, Griffin and Anderson just just shows so much promise as a receiver mm-hmm. that you know, he's got to be around, right? Yet, when you look at the total picture here, it's like you have to keep four because you want to keep those draft choices. And then some of Absolutely. the other guys might make it really complicated mm-hmm. for you in a luxury sort of way. But then you look at the receivers, and are you going to keep five or six? And, again, special teams do come into play here. But, man, receivers, what a position of yeah. battle that's going to be. We, DeAndre White, we raved about him for a couple of days during camp last year. He's going to camp with them this year. Yeah. you know, And we'll see how he plays out. Ellington, obviously, has got some – not pelts. I wouldn't use the Lopez word of pelts, but – He's done some things, and he's done some things for this team. So you know he'll definitely be around. Yeah, the, the to me, I trying to figure out, and I've sat down with this not recently, but I but I will again after the off season, kind of heading into the Greenbrier. I always come up with what I think the fifty three will be the very first day at the Greenbrier, and see how close I end up getting. It's yep. kind of a internal competition just to see how close I can get with what I've seen from the off season, et cetera. But I think that's going to be as not problematic. It's going to be as difficult as ever with wide receiver, tight end, and running back. Trying to figure out, and and therein lies one of the, one of the issues. Like, do you know that Deontay Foreman? If Deontay Foreman's going to end up starting the year on pup, we don't know that. Mm-hmm. But if he does, okay, well that should open up position. Where does Tyler Irvin fit into everything? Right. Alfred Blue signed a one year contract. And there were times last year at the end of the year where he ran the ball very well for you, and you know he gives you something on special teams. You know where does he fit into all this as well? I don't know that there are any. I don't know that there are any absolutes in the tight end wide receiver, tight end wide receiver running back realm. I don't think there's any absolutes other than you know DeAndre Hopkins. You know that for a fact, right? And Will Fuller, if healthy, you know that, and you. You got to feel like Lamar Miller's going to be around, given what you don't know about Deontay Foreman. But, but really, truly, absolutes you know about DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller. Other yeah. than that, you have no idea what's really going to happen with the rest of those positions. You'd like to think Kiki QT is going to be around. I think, and the rookies health, will be around. a healthy Ryan Griffin. There's no question. I think so too. I think so too. But like you said, he could be healthy for he could be healthy for six weeks, and then all of a sudden. Yeah, because look what happened in week two last year. Right. You know, if that same scenario goes down, he might be done for the year. Right. Who knows? He exactly. might be on IR or then some. So, exactly. I mean, you'd hate to see that kind of thing, but uh, this is the reality of the National Football League. 
Lamar Miller, I just think, is too reliable to so not too. be around. But, yeah, we got to see Deontay Foreman come back and, and see what he does here. Uh, it, it's going to be so much fun to watch take shape. You know, we haven't, even ta- we haven't even talked about the offensive line yet, but as I've been on my travels, I get a lot of questions, and I wrote about this this week. They've all been about injuries. You know, everything's yes. about how's this guy looking? Is right. he going to be available? How's that guy looking? And right. that's the reality when you play 78 players like you did last year. Yep. You have injuries being the top topic on this football team, and if you have relative health, you're a contender. If you don't, you might be 4-12 and 12 again, and that's just it. I think that's that's what – I don't want to say that's what the NFL's become. Maybe last year ends up being an anomaly when we look back. But you think about all the teams that lost big players last year. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't just the Texans, but because of the stature that Watson gained throughout his rookie year, we all know about Watt. Those two in particular, the ones everybody pointed to, I throw Whitney in there at their level because I thought Whitney was that valuable and is that valuable to the pass rush. But Odell Beckham Jr. with the Giants – I mean, he's as big as it gets in the game. He was gone. Ryan Tannehill was gone for, what, a second year, it seemed, with the Miami Dolphins. There were big names across the board. It just seemed like maybe it was one of those years. And hopefully it doesn't become that across the league. You know, Carson Wentz at the end of the year. But at least he got to see 14 games or 13 or 14 games from Carson Wentz before he went down. So hopefully that's not the case because I think, especially for this squad, everybody healthy, Everybody going in the right direction. This chance, this team has an opportunity to do something. But injuries even it all out. And I think the injuries will tell you, like with Jacksonville last year, how many times we talked about that. Mm-hmm. They didn't have any injuries, especially on the defensive side of the ball. None. None at all. And it allowed that group, as good as it was, to play together all year long. And they got better every single week. Got better and should have been playing in the Super Bowl. I can't believe I just said that. The should've. Jaguars should have been playing in the Super Bowl last year. Yeah, that's another thing that came up this that morning. The kneel downs with. 55 seconds to go in the first half. Oh, I, I, I thought about that. I heard, I heard the guys in NFL radio talking about that a couple days ago about the kneel downs and how little trust – oh, no, no, it was Paul. Paul was talking about it. Paul Galan was talking about it. How little trust you must have in a quarterback to just take the knee at that point. And I, I get it. Jacksonville's a defensive team. I think they were getting the ball to start the second half. Doesn't matter, though. But, man, you got to get – you say it all the time. Go get as many points as possible well, when you can. I adopted that from Andre because he, yeah. he's the one who says you can't score too many points in the, or enough points right. in the first half or too many points, however he words it. But here's my thing. At the end of the first half, if you take a knee, it's one thing if you're on your own 10-yard line. Right. You know, you got 90 to go and you got like 20 seconds and, yeah. all right, this is going to be really tough. But in their situation, you know, you're not deep in your own territory. You're still in your own territory. But you got 55 seconds to go. Are you going to want those snaps at the end of the game? Are you going to regret yeah. not having that? Are you going to want those always. back? You always want them back. Not, I mean, yeah, if you win going away in the second half, fine, you were right. But why not just hand off? Why not just, you know, Seth was saying this morning, why not just throw it deep because at least uh, if it's a pick, they're going to be deep in their territory in all likelihood. I don't know about that, but my point is this. Do something that has the chance to do something. Don't just do nothing where you're just folding the tent at that particular point. You remember what the Niners did? What'd they do? At the end of the first half, we missed a field goal. Oh, yeah. And they handed the ball to Carlos Hyde, and he popped to the outside and got about a 30-yard run. All of a sudden, they were like, all right, let's go. Let's get in two minutes. If Hyde gets tackled for no gain or two-yard gain or whatever it is, they probably yeah. like, all right, let's run it maybe one more time. But they popped Hyde, and they're like, okay, let's get into yep. two-minute mode. Kick the field goal right before the half is a six-point swing. 
Okay, I got a bone to pick with Johnny who had a bone to pick with me. Okay, good. About my top plays of all time for this franchise. We'll do that and some other stuff as well as Texans All Access continues. Let's continue. It's the program keeping you up to date with your Houston Texans here from the Hyundai Texans radio studio. Mark Vandermeer with you on Texans All Access with John Harris. And I think it was a couple of weeks ago now I did my show on the top 10 plays in the history of the franchise, and that's going to be out on podcast. And Johnny and Drew did a show this week complaining about some of my selections. So uh, what were your complaints? Okay, number one, let's start with uh, right at the top. Okay. Number one. We well, first of all, I was my biggest complaint was that you did the show without without me because okay. <laughs> I love going back over the history, especially from 2007 and before that because 2007 is when I started covering the team when I got back here. But I my two biggest qualms: number one, Watt pick six against Cincinnati to me is just that's I the all time that's the all timer to me mm-hmm. because. It's in a playoff game. It's in the first playoff game here. It's a playoff game that was not going the Texans' direction. The Bengals played extremely well in that first half up yeah. to that point. It was 10-10. Right. And it just didn't it just didn't it didn't feel good. No, it didn't feel It didn't feel it good didn't at feel all. Like it didn't feel like it was going to have Well, it didn't feel as good as it could have. Right. It as good as it as good as it should have probably. It was uncomfortable. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. You know, they I, were down. I think it was seven nothing, maybe even ten nothing. I think so. I, I have uh, sciatica problems a lot of times, mm-hmm. and when I sit down, there'll be some times where I'll just I have to kind of squirm, and I'm like, gosh, I just yeah, I can't get comfortable. That's kind of the way I felt that first half. Right. Then JJ gets the pick, and it turns that game, but then it also becomes this pivot point for the greatest defensive player on the planet. He goes from being a somewhat anonymous unknown. He makes that play on national TV in the first playoff game of that day. He becomes the J.J. Watt that we all know him to be. Plus, it was in a playoff game. I would have put that number one. I understand. I understood completely the the Walter catch. I probably put it two or three. Okay. So, that that was one. Number two. The one game to me... That you always you wanted to win uh-huh. was where the Colts at Indy, right? You had nothing on there, Brandon and Jalen Strong. Yeah, I know, but here's the here's my problem with that, and that that play took the lead, right? That was the lead getter in that game. Yeah, I think that, yes, yes. So so I could have put that in there. It wasn't that sensational a play it was a good call though it was a great call it was you did a great and, job calling it. oh no i mean it was a great call by bill o'brien you oh, know no, to, no, to have it Wheaton. was a good call by you too oh uh, well it was um it was fun i mean i i can't deny it that that game will be mm-hmm. definitely one of my greatest games yes okay but as far as any particular play in that game I couldn't put it in the top ten. I don't know. I just felt like it didn't fit the criteria. That was my personal criteria. You're right. Exactly. For my top ten list. And that was, but but to me, the thing about it is, the, first of all, who it is, 
the fact Colts. that it's Brandon, it, for, it's, Brandon at, it's at the Colts. Yeah. It's Brandon Whedon. Right. Who at that point had been with the team, I think, about four weeks. Your fourth quarterback of the year. It's Jalen Strong, who had been a Colts killer all year long. <laughs> he really had. And if you think about the Whedon to Strong connection, it got them, a, it basically stole them a field goal at the end of the half because Jalen made a, a catch on the sidelines that they had to review because it was under two minutes. Mm-hmm. And they ended up being able to kick a field goal at the end of the half, yeah. which essentially stealing three points. And then that drive is a 90-yard drive. It's basically weeding to Hopkins, weeding to Hopkins, a couple of blue runs. And then they run this play that they haven't run, I don't think, all year long, where Strong comes one way, he goes back, he makes the kick. There's, there's so much, and maybe it's because I remember that play because that, basically that play ended up in my lap right over there on the sidelines. What are you kicking out? Kick out a play. You got to kick one out. You can't be like Dick Vitale and have eighty teams making the NCAA tournament I know. here. I you know, know? you got to kick out one of my top ten. I know. And did you agree with my number ten overall play? And I was talking about this with McLean last night of Watson running the ball for half a field against Cincinnati. Yeah, see, that's that's the one to me. I might have I might have put a little bit higher, and of course that's higher. Maybe that's biased, but when we look back at Deshaun Watson's career, if you think about that Cincinnati game, and this is right. one of the things about that game. And I, and I don't know that he'll ever tell you this. I got the sense watching him, and we talked about this during breaks, the three of us. We, I, don't, I wasn't panicked about it, but you could tell that the rush was getting to Deshaun. Like, it was, it was frustrating him a little bit. He just got hit by Geno Atkins. He had gotten hit by Geno Atkins two plays prior to that, but also before that. Remember, he almost threw two picks. He almost threw two pick sixes. And I could see him on the field kind of looking at the rush. He wasn't feeling it. Like he did once he got comfortable back there right? in the fourth quarter. That's really when it started. But he was really not feeling the rush. He was kind of looking at the rush. He was a little bit frantic. And so I got I – was, and then he had the two near picks. I was like, oh, man. And if you remember, they scored early in that game with the Clowney fumble return. When yeah. Kareem had but it was a field goal. Right. It was a field goal. And so they didn't do much with that drive. So when he has that play, it's kind of like it op- like all of this opens up like, Wait a second. We got a quarterback that can do this? Yeah. It changed Wait. everything. It changed everything. And so right. to me, I might have put it a little bit I might have put it a little bit higher on the list. See, McLean, I, I said to McLean, I said, that's the signature play of his first year. It, that's the one we'll remember. Even though he turns into this wizard of a passer yeah. in the upcoming games and throws nineteen touchdown passes. Uh, it's just amazing to me how that's the one that'll be remembered because that was a win, all right? Mm-hmm. They won three times with him under center. That was a win, yep. and that was the play that changed everything around, and it was a night where you had to have it. No one knew the season was going to spiral out of control, kind of like Andre Johnson's fourth and ten play against Washington. They went 2-0 and at the time. No one knew that season was going to spiral out of control, yep. and at the time it was utterly huge. So to me, this is the same kind of thing. I'll tell you which one I would take out. Okay, is a, a field goal, and I, and I don't mean this as a knock on any <laughs> of the field goal kickers, but oh yes, you do. But it's a, it's a it's a field goal, you know. Yeah, but it's, it's a field goal. And look, I understand. I mean, you had Chris Brown's field goal against Indianapolis, which it's a moment, right? And that's one that I I, I struggle with a little bit because that you was weren't here. I, I wasn't here, mm-hmm. so I remember hearing about it from afar. Like, oh man, they beat the Colts. And then the Colts going to win a championship. And I remember thinking as I was moving here in 2007, 
Well, it's 2017. Might not be that bad. They beat the Colts. The Colts won a championship. You know, that was yeah. my that was kind of my thought. But I, I would have a hard time just putting a putting a field goal on there, especially one indoors. You know, if Kaimi knocks one home, say we go to Denver and it's a freak <laughs> snowstorm, and he hits like a Vinatieri type field goal. Yeah. Then I would be like, okay, I could put that on there. Yeah, I know. It, it was but I not, probably would have put degree weed. of difficulty wasn't crazy. It was like forty two yards or something yeah. like that. But that's not a chip shot. No, okay? I know. In I, fact, didn't Randy Bullock miss one in that end that won the did. Texans at AFC South he Championship did. a few years later? He did, and he missed it off a of field turf, whereas Chris was kicking off the the, uh, the, the grass, the, the grass at the time. So, so yeah. it's a little bit different now. Uh, to, you know what? Just I just dawned on me as I read it. They both happened on Christmas Eve. They both happened on Christmas Eve. Chris Brown hit that on Christmas Same Eve. Same end zone. And Bullock missed his on Christmas Eve. How about that? That is wonderful. And Andre, in the call I played, utterly confident he's going to make it, you know? He's dancing around in the booth, and they're playing <laughs> Prince. Oh, no, let's go. And he said, that's what we're going to be. We're going to be singing, dancing. Let's go crazy when Chris Brown hits this field goal, and he hits it. So he was utterly confident Brown was going to make it. I never tempt fate with kickers. I know. Ever. But a lot Never. of people were convinced Randy Bullock was going to miss his Christmas Eve That's in true. 2017. That's true. I said a few years later. It's 11 years later that, oh my gosh, 11 years later that Bullock misses his in that same end. Yeah. The the thing with Bullock, in the back of my mind, I could, I remember playing it out in my mind at the time thinking, if he misses this, we'll all say that we sort of saw it coming, knowing mm. Randy Bullock's history. Yeah. And then I convinced myself, no, no, he's making this. I mean, this is like the ultimate revenge in some sense. And no, yes, no. and he made a clutch kick to start his Texans career at the end of a Monday Night Football game in San Diego. So that would be the one I would take out. I would put at number nine. I would put Whedon to strong touchdown at Indy to beat Indy. But you in, can in even Indy for the first me. time ever. Okay, but you to can. me, Brown's field goal at the end of that game because I set it up pretty well. I think yeah. during the show, I set it up pretty well because you mentioned it. That was the first time you beat them ever. Ever, yeah. You'd lost nine yeah. in a row to them to start the the series. Nine just, in a row. I'm just putting Peyton a touchdown. Manning turned the Texans into his personal little sparring partner. Okay, <laughs> especially up there. Like I can't describe to you like the horror and misery Ugh. of going to the RCA Dome, not Lucas Oil Stadium, yeah. the RCA Dome. That band box so loud. That carpet, Freeney and Mathis, I oh. swear, were jumping every snap, but you'll never prove that. It just felt like it, that, and it was just a Colts track meet against the Texans every time you were up there. It was impossible to hang with them up there. They hung with them here in the early right, years. Right. They, they kind of did. you know. They, they did some things against them, but they finally beat them that day with Ron Dane's 152 yards, two touchdowns, and David Carr made one good th- – I mean, he might have made a few throws in that game, but he threw the ball to Andre Johnson to set up that field goal to win it. So I'll stand by that All one. Right. But I get what you're saying. It's a field goal. It wasn't like a 57. Brown actually had a 57-yarder to win a game against the Miami Dolphins in 07 Yeah, and set an NFL record in that game with three field goals, three for three from 54 or more, 54, 54, and 57 for the game winner as time expired against Miami, which was – Really a phenomenal performance for a kicker considering the offense was doing nothing that day. Here's the only other one that I can cons- I would have considered. And mm-hmm. and I considered it because well you, you do have some defensive play you do have some defensive plays but they're they're mainly JJ's. Do you agree with me on my Watt play being in there? The only play that's in there from a loss. Oh, that play is the I, I've said this to people that have asked me. And it's funny because yesterday I was 
because uh, all the construction, I was up on the first level, and it was it was just stone quiet. And I thought, man, what was the loudest it's ever been? I was like, oh, yeah, J.J.'s fumble recovery against the Colts. The it loudest was. I have ever heard. My, my, my head – my head was pounding because I had you guys in my ears, and I had to crowd. I, I it was insane. It was insane. The only other play I would have thought about that I did think about was the very next year in Indianapolis, the Clowney strip sack on Luck. That was huge. That that, was, that huge. was the other one because to me that was the play of 2016. I thought you know if it's a play of the year and a team that's been around for 15 years and an offense doing nothing, nothing. That's that's. That's, you know, that's got to be that's, there. That's a good so point. So I thought about that one as well because you got Clowney and Merciless, the two guys that really – And we'll talk about that play forever. Yeah. We'll talk so, about that play forever. That was a great play. So I would have, I thought about that one. So Whedon to Strong, those two Colts wins. And I thought, you know, it was funny because Drew and I were talking about you doing this list and I'm thinking about the wins that you remember. And obviously you remember the win against the Colts for the first time. I mean, that's got to be pretty cool. Christmas Eve and all that. We experienced that against the Bengals. But at Indy, you walked out of the booth. You were dancing a jig. You were that happy. And why did it happen? It happened because of Brandon Whedon to Jalen Strong in the most improbable fashion. And also in that year, everything that led up to that year. I mean, you think about starting with hard knocks in training camp. And then Mallet. the the Mallet-Hoyer stuff, starting off 2-5, and five, getting blasted Atlanta. by Atlanta and Miami. And I remember OB coming in here after the Miami game and, and doing his show with us. And it was just like... We'll get this thing turned around. I mean, he was so, it was he was down because they had not played well, but he had this. I don't know. There was something about it. I think he knew he had better players yeah. than than what the results were showing. And, and the next week, it was they hammered Tennessee by week, and then went to Cincinnati. And it well, that's why I there. put the Hopkins one on there. Absolutely. And I know that you're going to do a show at some point of that game. Yeah. Just highlight that game. That game and that play in Because that's, one of, the, that's one of the biggest wins. I mean, that was you know beating an 8-0 team in their place in prime time when you had no chance to win. On Monday Night Football. The world had written you off, and you go ahead and win the game. And Yates to Hopkins was just – that was one of the most thrilling moments of my Texans career. If you can go back and call one, mm-hmm. beginning to end, you can go back and call one game, what would oh, be? That's a great, that's a great question. Uh, I, would, I would pick the 2011 game at Cincinnati. Yeah. I, I would – I'd love to call that one again. I'd love Yates, for you to call it and me to be with you. Yates as a rookie throwing for 300 yards yeah. and the scramble on third and 15. Oh. I mean, oh my god! You know, it's funny. We talk, you talk about the Watson play. The, when it, was, it was third and 15. And when he takes off and gets the first down, and I see, like, he's right by me, and he gets the first down, my first thought was, oh, TJ. You're like, I thought about TJ. Yeah. As he's getting the first down, and then he doesn't stop running. I'm like, listen, TJ. <laughs> he just kept <laughs> going. And then he scores. I'm like, wait a second. He just scored. It was third 15. He just sco- I mean, it was, yeah. it was that sort of feeling. But I would like to go back and call that game with you. Yeah, that would uh, look. I mean, Rich did a nice job, but you know, I'd rather go back there and do it with you. Yes, please, let's do it. Uh, we can't do it until the DeLorean is invented <laughs> by Doc to take us back there. All right, next up, let's go around the league a bit. Let's go around the AFC South a bit. I threw out an X Factor thing this morning. I want to get Johnny's take on it. Texans all access.
Great to have you listening tonight on Texans All Access here from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Now, Johnny, we have a lot of things going on around the AFC South. Teams getting ready, yep. players getting ready, working out, doing whatever they're doing. This morning on Sports Radio 610's Mad Radio, as it is called, I threw out who's the biggest X factor in the AFC South. And, you know, everybody had this different kind of take on what that actually means. So it sort of turned into a debate on what that actually means. Right. I mean, to me, it it might be Andrew Luck because yeah. his availability is going to mean so much for their fortunes. And I threw this out there. Even if they win six, seven, eight games, they're going to take down an AFC South team or two along the way if they do that well. Mm-hmm. And I would expect them to do that well, at least that well, if Andrew Luck is healthy. I don't care who else is on the roster. They're going to win six, seven games. I don't know that I would. I don't know what I would label luck an X factor. I, I feel like an X factor is probably something a little bit unexpected. Yeah, a l- little bit unexpected, or okay. something you would think about. I think I think luck and Watson's health in particular are for you know they're right there in the forefront. So okay. to me, an X factor in in this division, like when you said X factor, the first person I thought of was Yannick Ngakwe. Wow. Because with, with Jacksonville. That was the first person I thought of. Because when I think of when I think of Jacksonville, how dominant Jacksonville is, I think Ngakwe ends up being sort of a focal point for for Jacksonville going forward for a number of reasons. First of all, if he has another tremendous season, that defense is gonna be nasty again. But I think Ngakwe gives that defense a little something different than any other defense in the division. He is nasty speed off the edge. Mm-hmm. He's like Whitney. Now he's not as skilled as Whitney, but I think he's got a little bit more oomph and juice. Putting his hand down as a four-three defensive end, Whitney's asked to do a little bit more. And Gakwe's always going forward. Whitney sometimes is going back in coverage. But in Gakwe providing that for Jacksonville, staying healthy, he was judged by the players to be one of the top 100 players in the league. And the other aspect of it is, it's now his. I think, I think this is his third year. So he's due to get paid large. Yeah. And if he does get paid large, then what do you do with Malik Jackson? What do you then – how long can Calais Campbell play? And then what do you do more importantly with Dante Fowler? Because mm-hmm. the Jaguars did not exercise the fifth-year option on Dante Fowler. So if you now have to pay Ngakwe a ton of money, can you bring any of those guys back? So I think for two reasons Ngakwe ends up being a really – key figure, I think, in the AFC South. X-Factor, I mean, I don't know if that's the right way of saying it. I mean, I think if you if you took health of key players, Luck and Watson returning, and kind of put them up on a shelf and said, okay, those are just kind of – those are keys, and, like, there's no questioning those. Right. Kind of went beyond that. The first thing, when you said X-Factor, Ngakwe popped out for those reasons, because I've been thinking about that. Like, who is a player or who's a unit, what's a unit in this division that – has kind of X-factor status, and Gakwe is a big one. He's the guy that scares me more than anybody on Jacksonville. He could become a household name, NFL version of a household name this year. I think so, too. Because he's not exactly a super well-known player. I mean, you know, if you follow the league closely, you know who he is. But it's not like, uh, you know, he's J.J. Watt or something like that. Right, exactly. And I think he could, because of the way he can rush the quarterback, he could be on par with a guy like Chandler Jones. He could be that kind of player. We're talking 12 sacks last year, 8 sacks the year before, 20 sacks in two seasons. That's a heck of a start for him. Now he's going into year three, and he's ready to take that big leap. 
as far as recognition. Yeah. But also recognition from opposing offenses. You know, they've known about him. There's no question. Yeah. You know, after his rookie year. Yeah. even. But it, it's a good one. All right. Biggest X factor on the Texans. Not named, you know, all right, if Watson's not an X-Factor, I've got one for you. Okay. Deontay Foreman. Yes. Because if Foreman, you know, he's got all that talent. We saw what he was developing into as the year went along until he got hurt. If he can get back to where he was, yep. oh, my gosh, what he would mean for this football team. Look at the plays he made against the Patriots, mm-hmm. the plays he made down the line. You could see them using him a whole lot more. Oh, my gosh, the defense has to work. watch out for him on every single snap that he's out there. You've got to respect him. you got to fear him, maybe in the respect sense, fear slash respect, kind of like the way the Bible uses it. You get my drift. Yeah, absolutely, and I think you're, I think you're dead on. That's, that's a great one because he can change so much of what you do offensively. I think, another, I think an X factor – see, to me, offensive line is not really an X factor. That's just that, – I mean, that, that's, a, that's a massive key. Mm-hmm. I think – and Brian Gain talked about this, which is interesting because I was trying to figure out the right way of saying this – but the inside passing game for the Texans, the players that play inside. So it can be some tight ends. That can be the slot guys. So it's Kiki QT, it's Bruce Ellington, it's Braxton Miller, and then it's all the tight ends. The guys that are going to catch the ball inside, in the middle of the field, so to speak, those guys, I think, have got – somebody's got to step up and be like CJ was a few years ago and then some. You would hope if it's one of the slot guys they can create – after the catch, but <clears throat> if it ends up being a tight end, you know that's a guy that's got to catch fifty balls. You know Ryan's got to yeah. get back to catching fifty balls, or they've got to catch seventy between two different guys. I think the inside passing game is definitely an X factor. How about the rest of the division? How about the, I got a good one for the Colts? I've been thinking about this for a while, and it goes back to it goes back to injury in some sense. But with them, Malik Hooker at safety. We did not see Malik Hooker at safety. Oh, that's a good one. He played about, I think, seven or eight games, and then before our game he ended up tearing his ACL. He is a ball hawk in the middle of the field. They've got a lot of young players in the defense. They're going to try and make that a young defense that all grows together, and, and I like the philosophy. I don't know if they got the right players, but I like the philosophy of it. But I think Hooker ends up being the key. An Ed Reed type with instincts that can play in the middle of the field that can control things on defense. Because when you think about the Colts' defense, and you said it a little while ago, you were talking about Freeney and Mathis. They had players like Freeney and Mathis and Bob Sanders. They had named guys that you were you were used to hearing. Now you think about the Colts' defense, and you're like, uh, I really don't yeah. know anybody. Yeah. But no. I know him, and he and that dude can play. Right. I think he ends up being. I think he ends up being a big factor. Boy, for Freddie and Mathis were so good. They would get leads, and then those guys would oh. tee off on teams that had to throw. It was awful. Oh. Anyway, uh, how about for the Titans? How about this one? And I, I'm not saying he's going to do it, but he could be this Corey Davis. Yes, absolutely. When you look at year two, let's see if he can develop, become the receiver that they dreamed about when they drafted him, and. Mariota, I was talking about him this morning. What if he takes a big leap, or at least a, a substantial leap? That could be very frightening for the rest of the division because they do have a lot of talent. Which, for that reason, I'm glad we're catching them week two. Yeah, because when I think about when I think about guys that have made that transition, like Jared Goff last year, Goff was a guy that made that transition, and Matt Lafleur was the offense coordinator with the Rams. He called plays, but he's the offense coordinator, so he helped with Goff. But Goff really didn't become the Jared Goff we expected until really you know week three, week four. It was that Dallas game where he had a great game at Dallas and then it kind of stayed at that level the rest of the year. So maybe catching them early on. I got one for the Titans. 
Rashawn Evans, rookie linebacker. Mm. With Avery Williamson gone, they still got Wesley Woodyard. I think they're going to ask a lot of Rashawn Evans in the middle. And I don't think that Tennessee is overly talented defensively. I really don't. Even adding Malcolm Butler and Logan Ryan the last couple of years, I don't think they're overly talented. I think Kevin Byard's very good at safety. I think there are safeties that are better. But I but I really like Byard coming out of college. He's kind of lived up to that. He's a good, solid player. But they don't really have anybody up in the front seven where you, other than Casey. You look at Casey and go, okay, he's, he's, he's a threat. But they don't really, you know, with Willie, Woodyard and Williamson, they made plays based on Dick LeBeau's scheme. Like, he would, LeBeau would scheme them up to get them free. But Williamson was, I thought, a better player than Woodyard. Well, how do you think Dean Pease is going to do it? Well, that's, that's the interesting part of this. Is Now, Pease comes in, and obviously Vrabel's there, so now you're going to have more of a New England influence there. So, to me, Rashawn Evans becomes, I think, Tennessee's Dante Hightower. I think Hightower now bigger than Evans, but Evans was used a lot the same way to Alabama. Evans will rush from the outside a little bit. He'll play inside on first and second down. There's a lot of different things they can do with Evans. Evans gives them an athlete in the middle of that defense that becomes very, very intriguing. He's a better athlete than Williamson. Obviously, he's a rookie, so it's going to take some time. But he has to, for the Titans' sake, he has to become that guy. He has to become their Bernardrick McKinney. He has to become uh, that stud in the middle. He has to become their Paul Puzlesny or Miles Jack, if you will. That's another one is Miles Jack. Uh, I, think, I think Miles Jack is on the verge of being very, very scary. You know, the very way the scary. Jacks handled the Texans last year, and I, I know Watson's coming back, and even with everybody back, it's not like I feel like this is a walk in the park exactly playing that team. I mean, that's a heck of a football team, and – you know, they're over there thinking, well, this is going to be our year. Now we're going to get to the Super Bowl. That's the thought process. That's the mindset mm-hmm. in Jacksonville right now. So, yep. you know, we can throw all the parties we want about everybody coming back. You're going to have to deal with them at some point. And it's not early because – and it's not like you have any kind of easy stretch early opening at New England, then at Tennessee, then home to the Giants, then at Indy. I mean, you're not even going to get to them in the first quarter of the season. Yeah, week seven. This is going to be very interesting. Yeah. Uh, that's all I can say. It's going to be so much fun to watch unfold. Yeah, it, I mean, it, I, I think the division, I said it last week with Drew, or earlier this week with Drew, I said I think it's going to be the best division in football. And I think for those reasons, I think luck, I, I, I hate to say it, but I think luck does come back. I, I don't know how healthy he will be. But I think Deshaun Watson, Merciless, come back for the Texans. I think Jacksonville plays Jacksonville's type of ball. I think Blake probably steps back a little bit, but I don't think he's going to regress like he did in 2016. Doesn't look like anybody's going to run away with it. No. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be like the AFC West. I think teams are going to knock each other off each and every week. So that's why this this team has to come out of the box early. And Tennessee and, and, Tennessee and Indy within the first four weeks, you've you got to take care of those football games. You've You're on the road with of both of them. Mm. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. If I give you a split in those two, will you take it right now? I think I would. Really? I think I would As take it right now. As opposed to door number two, the unknown? Yeah, man. If I you give know. me a split and I, think, I win the other two, I'll take the split. I think I'll go three and one in the first quarter. Thank you very much. I'm I, done. I think it's very easy to say, well, the Texans are better than the Colts, and they're better on paper than the, than the Titans. But you're on the road. But you're on the road. Yeah. So to get a, to get a split, I'd take it. Okay. I would take it because – I, you get the three games at home in the second half of the year. You get those three in a row at home yeah. uh, where you've got to take advantage. You've got the Browns, the Titans, and I think the Colts. So you've got to be able to take advantage of that. But on the road, 
you come out of these first four and you get a split with Tennessee and Indianapolis. And you go three and one. No, you gotta beat you gotta beat the Patriots to do it. I know. But I'm guaranteeing you that. See, I can offer oh, this you're to gar- you. Oh, okay. No, wait a minute. I cannot offer you that. <laughs> we have to play the games. It's reality. Johnny, thanks a lot. You got it, Mark. Thank you. All right, that's it for the show. We have fun talking football all year round. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for listening, and go Texans.